Blog Talk Radio. Take a piece of America back. It's called Trove. It's called It's called Trove. 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 We the last of the ventures flow as we carry it on our shoulders. I keep my friends close to them devils a lie closer. When the freedom riders approach them, they appetize for vultures. Soldiers of fortune are never no match for soldiers of culture. My flow is so fucking honest. You said you wanted to hear it. You lied, cause all you wanted was for me to lift up the spirit. The truth is too fucking ugly. And trust me, the shit got layers. You touch me, you think you're tough. Leave it toothless as rugby players. The truth is too sayers. Discussing the true saviors. We move with the gangs. You niggas sweeter than fruit flavors. The true slayer. Proving it's true to the hide from. As you misguided as missiles or a suicide bomber Taking orders from the mullah Waiting for karma to pull up They don't just no match for bullets It's rarely ratchets and bullets Got a race and a mean a lie Like you're chasing them with a cop car Like honoring being a martyr And a terrorist is a rock star Dodging the Abu Dhabi You're dodging the paparazzi Still probably as popular as swastikas the Nazis The cops protect the property properly When they crack a head Murderers get as cocky as Perseus When the crack is dead I wonder we'll be running through these crackers' heads And why niggas are spilling more blood than Cincinnati cats with black and red I take an act of go back to bed Allergic to the fumes, having a funeral for the news Cause the fact is dead The trust is gone from the neocons to Barack Obama America eats young from Casey Anthony to the Octomom wow. Fix it and mix it up like martial arts in the Octagon Fix fire to burn down by the line. Take a piece of America Suicide bomb, Protestants, Bibles, or Quran, or Islam From Genghis Khan to Vietnam, I can smell the napalm Rape victims, rip stockings, redneck clan members Doing church bombings, innocent fetuses being aborted with no options Humans, government, ruin them, worrying what weapons could be used to be nuking them Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem Slaves treated like property, the Pearl Harbor, the Hiroshima, the Nagasaki Adolf Hitler, to every murderous Nazi, to the Gambinos, to the Gaudis To every mafia atrocity, child pornography, babies starving and dying in poverty Serbians fighting Croatians in Yugoslavia, Muslim women being raped up the 40,000 in the war in Bosnia, the 50 million killed in the Second World War, the government poisoning the minds and the bodies of the babies that are born poor, airplanes blown up by Islamic extremists and religion, there's always drama, whether worshiping the prophet of Muhammad or Jesus, more pox and Napoleon, troops dying from typhus, from the Spanish flu to the Black Plague, today it's the AIDS virus, bodies in coffins, political extortions, racist mobs, murdering Willie Turks, Michael Griffith and Yusuf Hawkins, check the murder rate, the human nature, the murder and hate, the Catholic Church claim women were witches and burn them at the state, pedophile predators Attacking 38 Beretta used by Gandhi's assassin 16 bullets in Malcolm, it happened uptown Manhattan A homicide, Reagan, 80s epidemic of cracking Soldiers in action, dying in Iraq and never coming back And now let's, let's take a piece of America back You will learn It's called Trove 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 Get ready for Lulz and Liberty on Third Rail Radio with your host, Anti-Crisis 73 and Ann Dalek. Call in live, 646-929-1480. Now with your host, Antichrist is three and Ancap Dalek. Hey Dalek, how are you, my brother? I'm doing pretty well. Uh 
<laughs> I'm really excited. Uh, we have my favorite person that I really do appreciate because he is a pro troll. Um, he's very informative and he's really smart. I mean, I cannot wait for this guy to be on the show. Um, his name is the self-described anarchist, atheist, and asshole, Chris Cantwell. I am extremely excited. Uh, this is our second show in a row. Um, Good for us get our get our wheels back on the ground and um, what a what a way to come back uh, um, for a show. Uh, Christopher Cantwell was new to me a couple days ago. Dalek um, uh, turned me on to him, and uh, I would say all pro troll, uh, all pro troll, um, and um, really. A very um, a great a good writer, um, very insightful um, on a lot of the uh, on the lot of, a lot of the topics that that we cover on the show here, um, and uh, I've been onto his um, website and his YouTube channel. Um, it's a, it's a great combination of um, hilarity and uh, and um, Satire and and trolling and uh, it works um, it works brilliantly and I'm I'm really psyched to have him on I think it's going to be uh, like a freight train once we get rolling and um, we're going to cover everything um, right now Christopher's getting back on to Blog Talk Radio because uh, uh, the page hadn't fully loaded but he ah uh, yes. So Christopher um, is on is in the queue, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. So we'll get right into it. Um, Dalek, if if you want to bring him on, and um, well, um, actually, I kind of brought him on while you were kind of speaking. So this is the self-described anarchist atheist asshole, Chris Cantwell. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks well, for thank you. Me, man. Do you do you prefer Christopher or Chris? You can call me Chris for today. Right on. Excellent. Well, th- thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, I'm 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 fairly um, new to uh, to your to your existence. Um, Dalek turned me on to uh, on to you, and uh, I tell you, I've been engrossed in um, you know the, the articles you've written. Um, you know, and boy, w- where do we start? And uh, some of the some of the funniest YouTube videos. Um, I've seen and and also um, some really insightful interviews, um, you know. And 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 maybe we'll we'll back up a little bit here. Um, Chris, welcome to third. Uh, sorry, we're a little excited to have you on. It's great to have you on. And um, what uh, what what should we start with first? Do you want to start at the at the beginning, um, which I guess would be about two or three years ago um, and, and talk about uh, your, um, you know, your run, run for office and you still, um, on Twitter, you still go under the uh, vote for Cantwell or vote, Chris, vote Christopher Cantwell. Um, how, what was that, what was that um, about? Was that um, an honest run for office? Was it a, a sort of a lark at the system? Okay, so, uh, you know, I I got into libertarianism in 2009. I got arrested for a victimless crime. I was uh, 
I was arrested for driving while intoxicated in New York, and I uh, I was one point over the legal limit. I was out on a date. I wasn't a threat to anybody, but I was threatened with uh, I was charged with a felony. I was threatened with four and a half years in a state prison, and that kind of scared the hell out of me. And I thought that that was kind of wrong because you know I hadn't harmed anybody, right? And so I began to research for my defense in that case, and I came across a video by a guy named Michael Badnarik titled Introduction to the Constitution. And if your audience isn't familiar with that, I'd, I'd encourage them to watch it. It's like a seven-hour-long video, and about halfway through it, something clicked in my head, and I was, like, radicalized. My, my life became different. I was not the guy I was few minutes prior. And uh, so this led me on this wild philosophical journey studying history and economics and, and uh, getting affiliated with these different organizations and whatnot. And one of the organizations I came across was the Libertarian Party. And while in the Libertarian Party, uh, people just sort of noticed that I was a guy who could sort of articulate a point that kind of knew what he was talking about, and they suggested that I run for office. And I did. And at first, I did really have it in my head that there was a possibility that I could win this election. Now, that was ridiculous and insane because I was running with the Libertarian Party and because I had no money. And by the way, I was on trial for a felony. So... <laughs> Uh, what I ended up actually accomplishing through it was merely to, you know, kind of talk to people and tell them that government couldn't solve their problems, to sort of say, you know, look, uh, you know, especially the federal government is just such a harmful influence. Whatever made you think that they were ever going to do anything good for you, by the way, everything they've ever done is a failure. And, you know, having those conversations with people just, you know, shaking hands, talking to people on the streets, hey, I'm running for Congress. Uh, that was, you know, a, a remarkably... Uh, useful tool to me, not not only in a manner of spreading the message, but helping me get acquainted with sort of public speaking and, and engaging the public and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I gained a lot of benefits from it, but, you know, there was a point during it which I realized it was not, you know, a serious effort to win, uh, to win an election. Right. Well, well said. I think, um, well, first of all, you, you, uh, you, you crafted uh, your public speaking interview styling during that period, obviously very well, because you do it well uh, now. And, um, you know, it's interesting because when uh, Dalek introduced me to you, um, I kind of started in 2009 and worked my way um, up until a couple of weeks ago and, and what's going on in New Hampshire. Um, and uh, the... Uh, the video you did about Monsanto, and we'll get to that. Um, you you uh, are a, a self-described anarchist. Um, as we both know, um, the term anarchist is codified and loaded, and and uh, has kind of been dragged through the through the mud. Um, yet within, um, I think, a reasonable definition of of being an anarchist or um, viewing a, um, a productive social construct to be in some form of anarchist, anarchistic um, structure. Um, are, do you, what's your definition of anarchy? Okay, so uh, the definition of anarchy is pretty clearly defined. It's, it's an, as in like lacking something, and archy as in rulers, right? So it is, it is in the absence of rulers. It is not, you know, uh, and we tend to refer to that in the absence of the state. 
uh, or the government, as most people like to refer to it. So uh, that's the definition of anarchy. And there's all different types of people who have all different types of ideas about what that should or would look like. But, you know, at its base definition, anarchist means somebody who does not believe in the legitimacy of the institution that I refer to as the state. Um, and when I say the state, like uh, people in America get confused, think I'm talking about New York or California. I am talking about the global institution of government, the idea of the institution, right? Um, exactly. So that this, the, an anarchist doesn't believe that this institution actually does in fact exist, okay? That it is, it's a social construct. It's a thing that people sort of made up in their heads. It's an excuse to do violence. It's an excuse to do harm. Uh, and that's that's the base definition of what an anarchist is. Now, I would be more uh, I would be more specifically categorized as a libertarian, or more specifically than that, as an anarcho-capitalist. Which is, to me, an anarcho-capitalist is basically someone who simultaneously, uh, you know, sees the fallacy of the institution of the state and has an understanding of economics. Those two things happening at the same time, I believe, will create an anarcho-capitalist out of a person. Because, uh, you know, when you study how people respond to incentives in a market environment and uh, what the most successful routes of going about doing things are, you know, in the, in the course of economics, you, you find that trade and uh, acquisition of resources are all, you know, desirable things that people will seek to engage in. And... So I tend to favor property rights. I tend to favor uh, a concept known as the non-aggression principle, which is to say that the only thing that my society, you know, explicitly forbids is the initiation of force. And that, and by forbid it, I mean that the initiation of force is the only thing that you may respond to with physical force. So that if someone initiates force against you uh, or against your property, which is an extension of your being, that you would uh, be justified using violence. Right on. I, you cut out there at the end a little bit, but um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably one of um, the best definitions of uh, of of anarchist and its true intended um, definition that I've heard. Intended um, definition. We should understand that, like traditionally, anarchists have actually been like left wing people. They've been anti proprietarians who don't think who they they they've traditionally looked at. You know, the the anarcho capitalist you know, perspective on things is actually relatively new uh, compared to, you know, uh, you know, some older theories. And, and, you know, people have sort of seen over the centuries that, you know, these very rich people ran their lives, right? And and I think that those people had a very bad mis- misconception as to what was happening in the world because they thought that those people had property. Uh, they thought that the reason that those people ran their world was because they had property. So they said that there shouldn't be property, Right. What they failed to understand, and, you know, it's understandable that they did because, I mean, it was more primitive times, but we have some, you know, experience under our belt now. The the reason that they had the property was because they ran their world. It wasn't because they didn't run their world because they had the property. They they had the property because they ran their world. They had it backwards is my opinion right. on that. Good point, yeah. That's interesting. And, and, um, and definitely, folks, listen up. This Chris, Christopher knows his stuff. Um you have a you have a great article that uh that that you wrote um that essentially um uh, undermine or it doesn't undermine it, it but it challenges the notion that the uh that the founding fathers um 
you know, we're setting up uh, anything but um, a uh, – I need to be careful with you uh, in my words. Um, but the Founding Fathers were, were not setting up some um, altruistic uh, society, but more of a, of a business, of a corporate structure. Um, do, you, do you by any chance know the title of the article that you're referring to? Yeah, I'll, I definitely do. And don't be careful with your words with me, by the way. Like, if you say something that I perceive to be incorrect, I'll just go on to, like, explain to you my difference of opinion with you. It's not don't, – please don't be careful with your words. That ruins radio programs. <laughs> Good sound advice. Thank you. And uh, and I, I certainly am not above taking advice. Um, yeah, let me, I can pull up that article. Um, and while I do that, um, let, me, let me just ask um, another question. Um, in regards to in the same line, um, can it, it's, I, I find uh, your defense of um, the corporation um, as, a po- as, a, as a better choice than the state, um, you know, spot on. I don't, I don't know who is, you know, still looking um, to the state, whether it's the United States government or uh, in a larger way. Um, for answers or to solve a problem um, that, that, the, the, that the private sector can't solve, but can you really um, can you really uh, unentangle um, the state from from the corporation these days as as it stands? Okay, so as it stands, no, obviously not, right? Because, I mean, you have this this power structure there, and people will take advantage of it, right? I mean, it's just the most common sense thing in the world. I mean, if if you have a system where somebody can gain access to the, the sort of violent power that the government holds, and the way that they do it is by spending some money and lying to a bunch of people. I mean, that's just a great deal for sociopaths. They're going to they're gonna flock to that like, like uh, flies to uh, what's your language policy on this show. Um, <laughs> oh, you can go crazy, man. You no, know, they're going to be on that like flies on shit, right? So, so th- there's no way that you can have this structure in place and have it, you know, separated from trade. And the, and the more that it like inserts itself into trade, then the more will insert itself into it, right? So so people call, you know, I think that what you're referring to is I, I made a video recently responding to a YouTube character called The Cult of Dusty, where, where he says we have to regulate these corporations to keep them out of the government. Well, when the government goes and tries to regulate the corporations, what the, gov- what the corporations do is they get themselves involved with the government, right? I mean, it's just the most common sense thing in the world that if you're going to regulate my industry and I have a lot of money, then I'll buy influence in this institution that's regulating my industry, and I'll use it to my advantage. Uh, just to use sort of an allegory, I mean, I do this all the time. People attack me on the Internet. They say I'm a terrible person, and I just use it to publicity, right? I mean, it, it, people take lemons and make lemonade, and it's just the most common sense thing in the world that if the government's going to get involved in your business, then you're going to get involved in the government. And this just creates this terrible, unholy alliance because it inserts the government into more aspects of our lives. And people believe that this is, again, you know, this sort of naive, primitive belief that the problem is trade. Uh, but they don't, you know, they, they, but, they, but that's because the state has been so intricate in their lives and, and giving them so much bullshit propaganda that they don't, they don't see the influence of the state in it. They're not realizing that the state is the problem and, and therefore cannot be the solution, unfortunately. And I would like to correct, though, that you said it earlier in this, you said the defense of the corporation. Corporation is a creation of the state. It is a different. Uh, it's 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 a function of the state 
And you can prove that very easily by attempting to create a corporation without filing papers with a government. It's impossible to do. Uh, a corporation is a thing that you file paperwork with a government in order to create, and the reason that you create it is to avoid responsibility when doing business. Uh, when you, If you make a mistake doing business, you don't want the person who you screwed over to come and take your house and your bank account, so you create a corporation to shield yourself from responsibility. And the government allows you to do that because your corporation acts as a tax collector for the state. When the, when the government taxes the corporation, they are, in fact, taxing the, uh, the proceeds of the goods which the customers buy, and they are really, you know, they're passing taxes on uh, through sales. Right on. Indeed. And, and so, you know, so to, to uh, untangle, um, I mean, you actually do go into solutions in your articles. And the article um, that I was referring to a, a second ago, um, uh, the third paragraph starts, any honest study of history will show that the fable of this free market society with a limited government was all a scam brought on by government schools to convince you that your slave master, in fact, makes you free. Okay, um, and I think that was the one I wrote in response to um, uh, Harry Binswanger. And, yeah. and Yeah, so that, that article, yes. And, and look, I, I'm not a guy who necessarily doubts the intentions of the founding fathers of the United States, right? I mean, look, they might have really meant well, and, you know, they had a primitive understanding of things, too. I mean, you know, look, it's 225 years ago. Some guys made some mistakes, and I'm not necessarily doubting their intentions. However, you know, the, the fairy tale that we are told today is absolute bullshit. There's absolutely not a shred of truth to that. Um, that basically they created this, you know, system, and, and you know, we can doubt, you know, their intentions. I mean, it's it's sort of this wonderful coincidence that the guys who came up with this just happened to be presidents of it for the rest of their lives. Um, but you know, it, it, it. But even if they were, you know, well intentioned, it, it really didn't work out that way, and it really started off very quickly. So I mean, people people have this idea that they're going to restore the republic, that we're going to go back to you know 1791, and that things are going to be really wonderful. However, you know, they also the same people rail against central banking and that sort of thing. And of course, George Washington, the first president of the United States actually signed the law authorizing the first bank of the United States, which was the American Central First Central Bank. And that central bank did print paper notes, which you know people think is a real bad thing in libertarian circles today. Uh, and though those notes were theoretically backed by gold, I mean, it's a government, right? Is it not going to lie, cheat, and steal? I mean, they've done this throughout every historical record that we've ever had access to. So I can't imagine that they were not inflating their currency. It just didn't, you know, necessarily catch on quite as bad as it does today. I think that in some ways, you know, if you doubt the intentions of the founding fathers, it's legitimate to do. But, you know, I think they sort of saw it as like, hey, the king's getting greedy. We can do this scam cheaper and it'll be better for everybody. Uh, and, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of plausibility to that, I suppose. Indeed, another another line, and and I learned a lot from this article. I didn't I didn't know that that um, that the bank that Washington established was was a private uh, central bank right off the bat. Um, I think I, I hadn't looked into that enough. Um, and another another line from that article that that hit me um, as as truth. Um, and then maybe, maybe I'll lay one of my theories on you um, was before. 
and this is you writing, before we move on from George Washington, can we officially say the spirit of the first American Revolution was dead upon the suppression of the Whiskey Rebellion? Um, and, and then you, you, you go on to essentially uh, break down the notion um, that a free market enterprise could be um, established on, um, on, on, on the slave commerce, on the slave trade. Um, and people people born into bondage, um, and um, that's a that's a uh, it's a great transitional um, line there about the whiskey whiskey rebellion. Um, yeah, know, the whiskey and, rebellion was a thing. I mean, you know, these guys just got done killing and dying, you know, supposedly over taxes, and then all of a sudden, this brand new government was like, "Hey, we're going to tax your whiskey," and they were like, "Hey, that's bullshit." You know, the last guys okay. did, that did that, we killed them, right? So then they were like, "Okay." We you and of course you know what does a government do when someone challenges its authority it sends in armed men and you know starts murdering people and uh you know sure enough that that happened pretty early on in in the history of the united states and as you said as you pointed out you know there was uh you know slavery at the time and if you call that free market economics then i would you know challenge you to read an economics book because right. <laughs> anybody who thinks exactly. that that's free market economics is not understand economics and, and i mean and the point the point in the article just underlies, you know, essentially what w- what you're saying is is the, um, you know, the inability um, for our, the current what we currently or what some people currently call capitalism to exist without government, um, you know, and uh, I, you know, I think that that the dependence um, or the even the uh, um, inbreeding between the two, um, you know, they're they're narrowing down the the uh, the old DNA pool, the genetic pool, not not expanding it. Um, and, and going to back to the fa- uh, founding fathers, um, you know, I, I may be a little more cynical about about um, the corporate entity, um, but I you know I ha- I have this notion that. Um, the United States is an extension of of the British Empire, an extension of empire, the Roman Empire, and um, is merely um, was merely a, a, a well thought out and uh, beta tested um, um, you know corporate move to expand uh, market share and um, resource availability. Um, it, it certainly. Uh, the exploration of uh, the quote-unquote new world at the time was certainly um, a fiduciary contract and a fiduciary venture um, and, you know, had uh, not a very, had not just, a, you know, several people survived Jamestown um, and eked out a living and then later on up, up north um, and finally began to matriculate um, some resources and some uh, potential revenue streams, that's when the empire went ahead and sent in the, um, you know, what, what, what I would be called now the, uh, what are they called, the uh, economic raiders, um, Perkins, that, that gentleman Perkins uh, wrote, uh, the jackals, the economic jackals, I guess is what he called them. Um, and I'm certainly not against free market enterprise um, 
you know, I, I, I have this running joke about selling parking spaces, um, you know, without the proper um, uh, permits or whatever, but just go into a busy place and start auctioning off your parking space. Um, and obviously that would, that would uh, bring a certain amount of... Uh, um, humorous chaos, but also the, probably the authorities without too long, um, you know. But uh, so let moving on now um, from because it's a perfect intro right into uh, um, Monsanto, and um, you know as, as I was reading your stuff and getting to know you a little bit, I kind of I had saved that Monsanto uh, piece in the video. Um, towards the end, we've covered it a couple times on this show, um, and uh, and I, I was a little I was a little you know reticent um, because uh, the way you lead into that piece, um, you know, it's it certainly like, and everything you say is spot on as far as far as uh, the crowd expected, the crowd who shows up. Um, what they know about GMOs, what they don't know, um, you know, the bumper sticker, um, the bumper sticker um, appeal of uh, Stop Monsanto, of No GMOs. Um, and uh, and then, you know, you get down there and, and you interview these people um, who are at the, at the march and, um, you know, they're – uh, a blonde woman you interview at the beginning, and she is um, she, she's she's really quite uh, um, she knows her shit, and uh, um, that's a great interview. And then there's there's a, a lady you interview, and you could have just crucified her, man, um, you know. And uh, but you but you brought her along, and and she actually said some intelligent things, and. Um, yeah, I find I find when you go out with people. I mean, look, there's there's times um, if you, if you follow me long enough, what you'll see is me at times being like extremely confrontational, and at times you know sort of just trying to you know get people to follow a logical process. And there's I I take people on a roller coaster is kind of what you'll what you'll come to find if you follow me for a period of time. And you know, there, at an event like that one, I think you know those people are genuinely concerned about an issue. They're sort of seeing how evil things can get, right? I mean, they're looking at a world, they're very, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, legitimate argument over, you know, the benefits or, or hazards of uh, genetically modified foods and stuff like that. And, you know, how, how do we define what's genetically modified and, you know, different things to that extent. But, you know, these people are sort of watching, I guess, like Future of Food and different documentaries and reading, you know, very provocative things. And they're saying, oh, my God, a corporation is taking over the global human food supply and doing Frankenstein experiments on it, and this could kill us all. They're looking at the world for the first time, perhaps, from that perspective. And I think that that's just a great opportunity. You know, it's been, when, they, when they look at the world and they say, this is so dangerous that it could kill all of us, and then they say, government. And I'm like, who do you think caused this mess? And, you know, that does, it, ta- it causes them to take a step back for a minute, you know, and none of the people that I, you know, talked to there were necessarily, you know, turning into anarchists that minute, but I, I do think I got them to, you know, think about it a little bit, that like, hey, maybe me going and furthering and powering the most powerful institution in the history of mankind might not be a good way for me to deal with this problem. 
Absolutely, and and um, at least in the Monsanto video, I I really think that that you did educate some people, and I think it's it's a more productive approach than uh, you know just kind of picking the low hanging fruit. I really I, I really appreciate it. Um, I you know I was hoping we would uh, disagree on something um, about Monsanto um, because it it makes or and the whole GMO um, issue. And I live in Vermont. You know, we just decided to label GMOs. Um, um, the GMO question, genetically modified organism question, is a lot more complicated, as as you point out again and again, is a lot more complicated than people understand. We wouldn't be able to feed the people that we have on this planet without genetically modified crops. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, actually. Like, the thing is that, like, the, the, what happens now, and it's a tragedy that it happened, that, like, most of the crops are in some way genetically modified now, right? That, like, the food supply is tainted. This is the fact of, like, what the world that we live in, right? So this is, like, out in the wild, and bees are cross-pollinating plants, and animals are eating this stuff and pooping on the ground and fertilizing. And, I mean, genetic matter is, you know, spreading throughout the world. If you are... You know, USDA certified organic today, it doesn't mean that you will be tomorrow because these things infect other stuff. And, of course, you know, just, you know, as far as, like, what, you know, what is genetically modified? If I put, you know, two pieces of corn next to each other and they cross-pollinate and the next piece of corn looks a little bit different, have I genetically modified the food? Well, yes, I have. Absolutely. And, and And that's the point that I think you really got across um, to the people who were at this particular march was that you know it it's not it's not that Monsanto is taking over you know the world's food production um but it's that they're cornering the market on it um through patents um through uh um you know commodi- commodifying uh genetic dna material um and also um removing uh, the natural biodiversity of um, the gene pool in in a lot of staple grains, um, but as far as at some point you you know we have to kind of get into a chicken and the egg situation. The uh, food system has been so out of balance with um, the population, the um, you know the uh, fertile soil topsoil ratios in different countries and so on. You know it's in the in the Western world we go and buy food, um, you know, at the supermarket or the grocery store or whatever. Um, in a lot of the world, people get their food on pallets and in sacks, um, and they get, like, three things um, and or or less. Three things, is, that's, you know, that's like the, the deluxe package. Um, you know, and there is, there's, you know, regardless of what happened before, let's say, 1950, um, from about 1950, the equilibrium of, um, you know, uh, growable um, uh, pasture land, crop land, um, to people got so out of whack that without genetically modified organisms, uh, genetically modified foods and crops um, that ship better are, are a little more resistant to pests. I mean, a lot of them are now kind of breaking down because uh, because of over um, interbreeding, um, 
but you know, I think that that famines in in areas of uh, Africa, um, you know, even Eastern Europe, uh, Russia, China, uh, North Korea, obviously would, uh, you know, I think they would eclipse, you know, kind of the headline that that we've grown up with, you know, you know, famine in in X country in Africa. Um, I think I think that you know a lot of the problems that we have actually come from like government occupation of land. Like there's like so much unused land in the world, it's kind of ridiculous, right? That that uh, I forget what the the percentage is, but like but just as far as like the human population is concerned, you could put the entire population of the world, put every family of four on an acre of land in, and it would occupy a space like Queensland, Australia. That would be, you could put the entire population of the world there putting a family of four on every acre of land. And so when you talk about a place like Africa, where, you know, much of this land is uninhibited, the only thing that's really preventing it is like governments and warlords, you know, preventing people from going, you know, building fields there and whatnot. I I think that, you know, even with or without these foods, I mean, there's no shortage of resources here. The, the, The problem is really that we're being prevented from, you know, having access to them. And if you can have... You know, these more complex societies build up with stable monetary systems and without government preventing access to resources. I mean, GMO or no GMO, I, I think that you could grow more food than we could ever, you know, imagine eating and that it would be so cheap that people would just not even think too much about it. But that would that would take um, some sort of uh, reset um, or, or or kind of trying to like I mean, we can't get there from here is what I'm what I'm trying to say, um, and I'm not I'm not saying it's impossible, but but in the in the current paradigm to um, you know to reclaim all of this land that uh, um, you know has been usurped by the government and and you know you write a good piece on um, Agenda 21 that isn't conspiracy laden you know that is um, you know, policy. It has been um, policy for a long time. It is um, sort of the the land management um, guidelines that the United States government and the UN is using um, to take a lot of this land. Um, but I mean, you know, to to go ahead and, and sort of reset and say, okay, you know, all the desert, you know, the desertification of Africa. Um, and I don't want to harp on on, on poor Africa, um, you know, but it it does require um, sort of thinking in in a vacuum. Um, we like we you know you know what I mean by we can't get there yeah, from here yeah, at so, least so by I'll, any I'll, straight I'll, road. I'll, I'll I'll respond to your point then. So I mean. You know, getting there from here, and I mean, if there is a stateless society where people are basically free to do as they see fit, um, you know, that's not something that happens, you know, easily, certainly. I I imagine there will be bloodshed involved, and people are, you know, abhorred by that and don't want to even discuss it, much less engage in it. So, uh, you know, from here, meaning like exactly the moment of time that we are at, to there being like the next moment in time and the next moment in time holding a stateless society, then of course, no, you, you can't do that because that moment has already passed and sure enough, there are still people threatening me with guns telling me what to do. So, right. 
Um, you know, but the thing is, you know, like how, but at the same time, it's like you have to solve this problem, you know, so like people try to, I think that people try to find a lot of like band-aids to their, you know, solutions to their problems. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's not worth bandaging a wound from time to time. I mean, if you're bleeding, you know, put a band-aid on, I, I get it. But, you know, if they, I, I really think that there's an urgency behind actually fixing this. Because this, the solution, the, the the problem is so obvious to me, and so is the solution, that I have a hard time imagining that other people don't see it, and and I'm trying to like, you know, garner some feedback to make sense of it all because it just seems to me so obvious that the government is the problem, and the answer is to kill the people who call themselves the government, and that well, you know. I think if more people understood that, I just think that this would solve itself like in a matter of hours. <laughs> I don't think these people would continue doing this. Well, I mean, and and you don't shy away from that position at all. Um, and it is, it is. I mean, you know, to, to break it into a simple metaphor, I mean, it is. If if you know, if the dog decided to to get up and shake the fleas off, it, it could happen quickly. Um, you know, without question. How how and th- how how are you doing on time, Christopher? I got I got all the time in the world. Awesome. Um, let, I'm going to pose um, a question, hand you the floor, and then um, can I actually I quick Dallas, question, man? Yeah, you, of course, man. Yeah, I was kind of curious because you know uh, you we. I basically know that um, uh, that you do have your little troll group on Facebook. Um, it, by the way, I don't really like Facebook. Most people, I guess, I don't really think really like it either. Um, so I, I know that you have the little Facebook group called the the the, the Libertarian Brutalist. How did that come up? And uh, are you considering of actually uh, grabbing a website and a chat so then other uh, people that don't really have to go to Facebook in order to communicate and talk to other people that are in the Libertarian Brutalist page? Okay, so the first question, as I understood it, was how did that come about? And the way that it came about was a guy named Jeffrey Tucker, who's a, a fairly influential libertarian who's involved with the Ludwig von Mises Institute and Lou Rockwell and Ron Paul and a number of very, you know, prominent people, uh, you know, sort of like switch teams on us. You know, there's different factions of the libertarian and anarchist movements, and they, and he sort of switched to another faction with a sort of like really like left-leaning, politically correct agenda. And he wrote an article titled Against Libertarian Brutalism, where he compared this sort of like core libertarian principles to which I uh, adhere and adore to a style of architecture used by socialist governments known as brutalism. And, you know, the, the style of architecture... It's, a, it's an astute observation, really. Uh, I didn't like the way he put it, but it was a very good observation. That the, the style of architecture was very plain, that it was to show the structure and form and function of the building as opposed to um, as, as opposed to like more like modern uh, styles of architecture that try to make things pretty, right? So I think libertarianism is the non-aggression principle, and I adhere to that, and that it, it is it, that is the final and exclusive idea here, that basically as long as you are not advocating or initiating force against uh, peaceful people, that there's really no legally, legally actionable problem here, and that, in that I don't seek for my political philosophy to address much more than that. Uh, and I don't really care for aesthetics, so I mean, my, my brand of libertarianism, which I believe is the one true brand of libertarianism, doesn't mind if you're a racist, right? If you, if you think that, you know, 
all black people are, you know, stupid animals and you don't want to associate with them, well, you know, I disagree with your opinion, but by all means, you're welcome to it. You can discriminate on whatever preferences you like. If you, you know, don't much, if you have a religious, you know, affiliation and that religious affiliation says that, you know, gay people are, you know, going to go to hell, I mean, I think it's a stupid idea, but you're welcome to it. Um, so, Listen, kid, this is important. Yeah, so this is, so what I say is that libertarianism doesn't care for aesthetics. Now, there are other people who think that these ideas, that these thought crimes, essentially, are, uh, you know, acts of coercion. That to say that you are not allowed to refuse to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple because, you know, the gay couple is entitled. They're a protected class. And that, you know, you should not, uh, you know, if you refuse to allow black people into your business, that, you know, people should coerce you or uh, peer pressure or social engineer you away from doing that. And, you know, I don't, I don't see any value in that. It's just, you know, it's just a preference. Um, you know, again, I, I don't agree with it. It's not what I do in my own personal life. But, you know, it's, it's, I, I, my whole point of my entire political philosophy is that I don't tell you what to do. So um, these people say that, you know, we should really care about these more like left-leaning social issues such as race and gender and gay rights and LGBT, LMP, and, you know, whatever acronyms they're using now. And I say, no, I don't really care about any of those issues. You know, uh, it's not my problem in my political philosophy to concern myself with that. Uh, so they, and, and he says the people who care about these things, now these people are humanitarians, right? So we're brutalists and they're humanitarians. And, you know, are we setting up a little bit of a false dichotomy here, guys, you know? So he writes this article, and I say, well, I will embrace this brutalism label, and I will tell you why. And I wrote this article, and it was very popular. And a lot of people sort of, like, coalesced around this word brutalism. And so I, I you know, capitalized on that and created this Facebook group, which is, you know, you know, admittedly, you know, a lot of it is not the most, you know, intellectual, philosophical discussion, though some of it is. But we have a blast. I mean, it's just so funny because we don't care about political correctness of so people are posting, you know, memes that might have, you know, some sexual or racial connotations that other people might find offensive. And we're just like, hey, we don't care if you're offended. We're free to do as we see fit. Um, and it's very popular. I mean, we're up to over 2,300 members of the group right now. Um, you know, my Facebook page for ChristopherCantwell.com has exceeded Jeffrey Tucker's page just recently. Um, and I did create a website. So I have a, a website called Brutalist.me. Uh, which is a kind of like a joke. So, so Jeffrey Tucker, the guy who had written this article, created a website called Liberty.me. And on it, basically, it's like a pay-to-blog platform that on Liberty.me, you pay $15 a month, and then you have this like privilege of writing articles and driving traffic to Jeffrey Tucker's website. I don't really understand why you would do that, but some people apparently think that that's just a great idea. I created then Brutalist.me, which is a free version of Liberty.me, which I created, you know, in a few hours of my time and didn't really require a great deal of effort. And I don't have a full-time staff of, you know, four people running around playing PR dumminess and taking money from left-wing institutions to do it. And, and so that, that exists now. I mean, it's a functioning social network. It's a free, you know, blogging platform that people can vote on articles and the, the most popular articles make it to the front page and everything. So, if anybody wants to check that out, they're you know they're very welcome to. It's not very active at this point, but I haven't really promoted it very much because I'm obviously very busy with ChristopherCantwell.com and my YouTube page. It, and we'll we'll post those uh, all those links. Um, I, I like your your website. Um, 
a lot. I know Dalek. Dalek, um, the floor is yours for any questions. I know you you um, you may have to boogie for a little bit. Um, why don't we if uh, why don't we if you have any questions before you go um, or any comments, ask away and then um, take us into a tune and I'll switch onto the board and um, um, if if you still have uh, pressing issues, if that sounds good to you. Uh, that does sound real uh, good. My last question probably um, is uh, um, about the Sulfix. Well, actually, did you guys get into the uh, the cop lock? Uh, not the cop lock, but um, uh, the debacle with, uh, you know, you and the president of the Free State Project and how she banned you from basically the, uh, the uh, the uh, Porcupine Freedom Festival. That's what I really want to know. Okay, so I've sort of focused on Carla Garicki as she is the president of the Free State Project, but it was a, a decision that was come to unanimously by their board of trustees. And that uh, incident came uh, as a result of, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think the only way to solve this problem of the state is for people to defend themselves against its agents. And that is a terribly unpopular idea. Nobody wants to even think about that because clearly, you know, you start fighting governments and people die. It's not something that anybody really finds pleasing. So, at least me least of all, but, you know, sometimes necessary things are uh, unpleasant. So, uh, I wrote an article in New Hampshire, the Concord, New Hampshire Police Department had filed for a grant with the United States Department of Homeland Security for a uh, to obtain an armored personnel carrier, a weapon of war, a bearcat, as it was named, and this uh, this device, you know, is, is used for, you know, it's a weapon of war, right? It's to enter into gun battles with, you know, well armed combatants, and what they said they needed it for was because they had a domestic terrorist problem, and the domestic terrorist problem to which they were referring was free staters. They said free staters on their application for a grant to the Department of Homeland Security. So necessarily, you know, there's there's over 1,500 people who have already moved to New Hampshire for the Free State Project. There are, uh, you know, many locals who are sympathetic to the Free State Project. Ron Paul came in the second in the Democratic primary in New Hampshire. So, I mean, there's a lot of sympathy for the Free State Project there. And, uh, and there's over 15,000 people who have signed that they will move within five years of them reaching 20,000 signers. So there's a lot of people who are really upset about the Department of Homeland Security labeling them as a terrorist organization and buying a weapon of war to combat them, and understandably so. Now, of course, the Free State Project says, we're peaceful people. Why would you do something like that? Okay, you know, there's a, there's a certain, you know, book of strategy where I suppose that makes sense. In my book of strategy, that when someone is making a belligerent, violent threat to murder you and all of your friends, that you might not want to portray yourself as peaceful. That you might want to say, hey, that's a bad idea because we'll fucking kill you. And uh, so I wrote an article titled "Conquered Police Go and Get Bearcat." And, you know, I said basically, this, you know, I mean, it's a you know probably over a thousand word article, but the summary could be summarized as this: They have a war against terrorism. They labeled you a terrorist, and they bought a two-ton war machine. Peace is no longer on your list of options, right? You're in a war. You know, your your enemy has declared you as an enemy and started arming himself to murder you and your people. Uh, that is a time to start considering defending yourselves, if not actively planning and preparing to do so. Now, this upsets people, and you know the Free State Project's um, 
uh, rules, their guidelines, whatever, bylaws, uh, say that you cannot be a member of the Free State Project if you advocate violence, quote. Uh, now, it doesn't define advocating violence. Now, you know, if you're a libertarian organization, you know that, you know, violence is not forbidden by libertarianism. Violence is uh, only forbidden from initiatory force, like buying a weapon of war and making belligerent threats against a group of peaceful people, right? So if you are an institution, if you're an organized criminal gang, and you buy a weapon of war and say that you intended to use it against this group of peaceful people, that's a belligerent, violent threat against them, and they are absolutely justified in arming themselves and defending themselves against that threat. Uh, they saw it differently. They felt that uh, I was uh, acting contrary to their goals and that I was uh, advocating violence uh, uh, that goes against their principles. So if their principles are such, then I would say that their principles are not libertarian principles. They do not tell me what those principles are. They're obviously something very separate from libertarianism. Um, and they've kicked me out of that institution, and they've banned me from what is, for many, uh, the signature event of the libertarian movement in the United States, which is the Porcupine Freedom Festival in Lancaster, New Hampshire, which takes place uh, next month. And I am not welcome at that, which is a terrible shame because I'm very well liked at that event. And I imagine that there's going to be, you know, some discussion there about uh, about my presence. And uh, I look forward to hearing all about it. Uh, well, and, and I uh, also one go thing, ahead. Uh, uh, like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, sorry, one more thing. Uh, well, now, one more thing. Uh, what's going on with you and the old-timers, a.k.a. the Stop Free Keeners? Well, the Stop Free Keeners, so what they did, so now Free Keen is not, you know, you would you could associate them with the Free State Project if you wanted to, but they're a separate organization. But they are mostly made up of Free State Project participants. And they uh, also uh, banned me from their organization. Now, they didn't ban me when the Free State Project did, but they did um, you know, ban me from their headquarters when I wrote the article, Gabby Giffords Begs for Another Bullet, where I basically said that you know, Gabby Giffords, that Arizona congresswoman who got herself shot in the head, uh, you know, basically lived through it because there are no vital organs inside of her skull and that she uh, deserved it. And... Um, this, you know, necessarily upset some people. That's sort of the point of a lot of the things that I do. I'm not entirely surprised, but they, they, they've banned me from their headquarters, and I've never been a writer on their blog or anything like that. I'm not a member of their organization. However, there is now, like, they have their own, like, counter-activist movement, that there is a group of, you know, concerned pro-government citizens that um, that are now stepping up to organize an activist faction that's in favor of the government in Keene, New Hampshire. And we just think that that's hysterical, all of us. Now, I am now uh, next month moving to New Hampshire in very close proximity to this Keene Activist Center, which I've been banned from. And so there has been some buzz about this in the neighborhood because I'm sort of a well-known figure there. And the Stop Free Keene crew has realized that, you know, the, the Free Keene people are clean you know they do not make racial jokes they do not talk about violence they are hippies you know and they're you know sort of left-leaning guys who are you know, really more pacifist and don't want to you know necessarily offend people except for through uh you know sort of like some some eye-catching activism they don't say too many offensive things and they're potheads and so the Stop Free Keen crowd wants to dig up dirt on them, so they try to associate me with the Stop Free Keen crew, 
And I, you know, I wrote a fairly detailed article sort of like rehashing all the differences that I have with Free Keen and why I'm not a member of their organization. But of course, this doesn't stop them from, you know, linking to my articles on their website. And hey, shit, I'm more than happy to have them do it. It drives me up in the search engine rankings. It drives advertising revenue to my blog. So I'm really happy to have them, you know, draw more attention to me. Um, I, I found this whole um, debacle uh, particularly frustrating, uh, or not frustrating, but just, um, I don't know, I just, a, a big sigh. The letter that that, that lady wrote you um, was so full of, like, neoliberal bullshit language, codified fucking crap. Um, what kind of, what kind of group that includes the word free in its, in its, in its nomer bans an individual for talking tactics um, and well, just let's, talking. Let's, let's, let's say something, though. All right? let's, say, let's say I had some tactics that went contrary to their principles. Well, I think it would make a lot of sense for them to ban it, right? I mean, like, what if I, you know, what if I was a communist, you know? Do you, can we ban communists from the Free State Project? Well, not according to their bylaws, actually, right? Like, you know, as long as you're not talking about violence, you can be a communist all day in the Free State Project, right? Right. I think I that guess, would make a lot I of sense. we're to, back we're back to square one, and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, you know, once you have bylaws, the whole thing is is out the window. Well, no, that's not true at all. I absolutely believe that, like, private organizations should, like, create rules and stuff, you know? I mean, look, I run the Libertarian Brutalism Facebook group, and I don't have many rules there, but there are some, and if people break them, I ban them, you know? If people are, you know, disrupted to my enjoyment of something that I maintain control over, I'll remove them from it. I mean, I'm, I'm a libertarian. It doesn't mean that I let people come into my house and sleep on my couch and shit on my floor, right? But it, so, didn't, I mean, it didn't appear that you were imposing anything upon the free state, free staters. It, it, what it, from from an outsider looking in and 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 reading, you know, what was written about it and what what you wrote about it. It looked, it, it sounded, you know, almost as if you were asked, a, you know, a question, gave an honest answer. Um, I like, I don't, I, and I, I do. I'm not going to say that, you know, private entities shouldn't have bylaws and shouldn't, you know, have have rules, especially if if the individual who's breaking those rules, um, you know, is is imposing their will upon that of the other and interfering with that person's enjoyment or intellectual advancement or whatever reason they may be at at the group um you know but but to to answer a, a question in the frank and candid manner in which you did um which which i think is a very logical response to the question that was posed to you um about the bear cat i mean no no fucking police department should have a bear cat that's crazy and well, thanks but no tanks in, in, in fairness to them, they didn't ask me. I mean, I just put this out there, right? So, I mean, I saw them talking about it. I didn't like the way they were addressing it, so I countered their argument. And, I mean, it went contrary to their goals, and unfortunately for them, I'm sort of a high-profile guy that when I say something, people listen. And this, you know, upsets them because they're worried about this is going to be splattered on the front page of a newspaper that the free, the, the free staters are preparing for insurrection. I mean, I understand why they got upset about it, right? And I'm even like, you know, you can kick me out of your organization. I just think it was kind of like an overreaction to kick me out of the event, right? So like Porcupine Freedom Festival, you don't have to be a member of the Free State Project to go to that. 
You know, I'm not asking them to pay for my ticket. I'm not asking them to have me as a featured speaker. I just want to go hang out with my friends. You know, I mean, this is the only time I see some of these people all year. So, you know, if they wanted to, like, make a PR stunt and ban me from the organization, fine, go ahead. You know, I don't really care. It's not like the Free State Project gives me anything. I have no benefit to it whatsoever. You know, I, I benefit them by adding to their numbers by being on their list. I don't really care. I just think, you know, it was, a, it was a stupid thing for them to do, but it's not. What they did wasn't, you know, contrary to, you know, the principles of freedom. It just goes contrary to what they profess. You know, they're saying that they're trying to build a society a free society, okay, that they want to build a free society. Well, guess what, folks? I exist in a free society. And as a matter of fact, I'm one of the most, one of the most popular, prominent people working to bring that free society about. So if you're going to ban me, you know, go ahead. I mean, it's just bad marketing. You're not doing a good, you're not well, good exactly. at your job. Well, exactly. And more than that, I think it, it delegitimizes the, the, the whole group, um, you know, and, and whether that's, that's, you know, just because I kind of have a superficial knowledge of what went down um you know i am familiar with uh with the free state movement i have property in new hampshire um you know so i pay a lot of attention to new hampshire and i guess it's with some some disappointment um that you may be sensing in in my voice but i mean you know this the discussion that that you brought up like that conversation has to be had at some point and and one of the i think one of the um, you know, the, the big mistakes um, is, is to just constantly kick that conversation down the can. If, you know, if, uh, if, if cops are coming on your property, they don't have a warrant. Um, and, uh, I don't care if they do have a warrant. Well, damn, you know, damn straight. And, 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 and in my rule book, you have that right. Um, but I think, like what what the the free staters did, they by they shot themselves in the foot by by um, a from a strictly like PR, like you said, uh, you know, and a strategical position. Um, they've given you way more uh, way more power and way more voice um, than you would have um, had they just um, you know sort of nonchalantly. Um, let that that article um, go uh, as what it was. Um, you know, maybe yeah. They own- they they really screwed up on a number of levels. I mean, and everybody who's look. I mean, you know, it's it. I do believe that it was part of a larger thing, right? I mean, look, guys, I've made some enemies, right? Well, clearly, you know? they you from a music festival. That's punitive. That's right. bullshit, and that's well, crazy. It is. It's it's absolutely punitive, right? So I mean, look, there's people who don't like me, right? And and they're and you know, look, maybe they've got some good reasons, right? Look, I piss a lot of people off, you know. I'm not really too concerned about it, right? So you know, and I and I suspect what's going on is I think they have donors, right? Like there are people who donate to the organization. We don't know who they are. They're not a 501c3 or anything yet. So you know, there are people who give them money, and if they you know don't do what they say, then they'll stop giving them money. You know, so they're like, okay, well, this guy you know is sort of like a left-leaning pacifist who gives us you know thousands of dollars. Probably want to do what he says because Cantwell's not giving us any fucking money, and so they do that. And what they did, you know, and it was just everything about it was so bad. I mean, right down to the timing of it that like it happened literally the day I launched my website. They came uh, hey down guys. with this decision. What? All right. So sorry. Um, I gotta get going. Okay. Uh, well, what you're talking Alex, about? thank you so much um, uh, for for pulling it together, and um, I am on the board. I will take over. 
Um, well, um, and, uh, you know what? Let's listen to a, a very quick uh, song by Mr. Black Messiah. Let's have a little bit of fun and let's see, uh, and, see and Chris, Chris Cantwell's reaction. Because we're going to pick this right back up. You got it. Thank you. All right. All right, so here's a little bit of Black Messiah. When I'm done with a track, nigga, you don't die alone, goddamn. Black Messiah. Shout out to Nick Knack. He's a nigga out there, man. Messiah. Goddamn Black Messiah spitting on these beats, never gonna wrap it up, never gonna be complete. Goddamn Black Messiah, man, you're spitting every day. Ball so hard, got my feelings on top of way. I'm a smooth operator. Fuck your bitch, turn you to a chronic masturbator. See you later, nigga. I've been taking off to the top. Spitting bars, I ain't ever gonna stop. Goddamn Black Messiah, you the king of hip hop. Fuck your bitch, let her lookin' like a wop in a Pakistan. Fuck that shit like Pakistan, nigga, I ain't any other man. I'm the black lord, black son of Jesus Christ. I'm about to end your life, about to end your place in a rap game. Fuck you up, leave your career, never look the same. Goddamn, black lord spittin' so damn hard. Every other day, every other way, every other hour. God, all this power. Blamicide, you the man of every single hour. Blamicide, spin so hard on the mic. Blamicide, spin so hard, done changed my whole life. God damn, Blamicide. Bitch, nigga. I'ma kill you when I spit it. Fuck Whitey. Your bitches have sucking on a pussy I bet you really wish it fucking was me Cause I go so hard on the track Spitting so hard you know I'm never coming back Man I'm never coming back I ain't ever slowing down Fuck your old bitch take it down to the ground I'll be driving all around pussy town Black Messiah never make your bitch frown Gotta smile up on the top and up on the bottom Take all your bitches and the Black Messiah got them Goddamn Black Lord man you about to take you back to pussy getting class. Bow down to the freestyle king. Ain't ever heard another nigga sing like me. Fuck you, bitch, nigga. Kill Wiley. Fuck your old bitch, turn her out on the corner. Goddamn Black Messiah, Black Chris Dorner, you be killing all these tracks and killing all these beats. Got the world bowing down at your feet, but you ain't slowing down, man, you ain't gonna stop. I don't give a fuck, man, my neighbors call the cops, cause I'm shouting so loud, man, I'm rapping so hard. I ain't ever gonna stop, goddamn Black Messiah, spitting so hard on the track. Ain't no going back, cause this is all up the dome. When I'm done with this track, nigga, you gon' die alone, goddamn. You a bitch, nigga, baby, and I fucked your bitch. Black 
down there that they got this kind of beast out there. Shout out to Mick Mac. He's a nigga out there, man. He's the one on the mixing balls, mixing this shit. The real nigga in the game right now, y'all. Black Lord. All right, that's our own Black Messiah, the nigga Christ, dropping fucking bass lines. That is such a cranky tune. Christopher, um, thanks again for being here. Um, can everybody hear me? Yeah, we can, I can hear you. Awesome. Um, Dalek and I just did the switcheroo. Uh, that kid is great, man. He he turned me on to you. Um, I think he's at work right now, so uh, he popped in, got us set up. Thank you, Dalek. Um, appreciate appreciate you getting this set up. So where where we were we were talking about cops, which is uh, um, you know a particular concern of mine, um, um, and it becomes um, it it becomes more pressing, uh, you know, day in and day out. Um, now, as far as um, law enforcement officers, the institution, the construct. Um, do you, do you see things being out of equilibrium, or do you simply see them as as um, being agents of the state that at some point um, need to be addressed in one way or another? Um, or, well, they're, they're, or, they're, it's it's very simple. I mean, they're part of a criminal organization. You know, I mean, government is just government is an organized crime problem, right? I mean, you've got you know planners and you've got enforcers and you've got all the other elements that we see in you know other organized crime gangs and that sort of thing. So. Uh, I can I I I see them for what they are, and that's what they are. They're just a criminal institution, and of course, you know, the the market has yet to respond to this problem, unfortunately. And it's you know the only failure in my book of economics is that the market has not responded to something to with, with something to protect us against these people, uh, because people are stupid enough to fall for this scam that that is government that they think it's you know good that people chase them around on the highways and send them with death driving too fast you know uh so there's no there is no equilibrium to be had with people who threaten you with death you know i mean everything about the government you know the police in particular because they're the ones that we most frequently get threatened by uh you know the 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 police are what hold this whole entire thing together without them the edicts of politicians have no meaning and it's really all rather pointless so the police are probably the ones that you have to deal with first and you know perhaps by dealing with them you can solve the problem because once they're gone and there's nobody to protect the politicians they're going to be hiding and not passing any more laws absolutely um so how what's the what's a response to uh somebody who says they're just doing their job so we're Nazi soldiers. I mean, so is uh, so is a guy who robs a liquor store. I mean, the, the the fact that you commit a criminal act in order to get paid for it. I mean, where when in the history of mankind is we have we accepted that as an excuse anywhere else, right? That you know, I'm just doing my job. You know, well, so are drug dealers. And dr- drug dealers are doing their job, and then and then the police come in and kidnap them, and you know, throw them in cages and never let them out, and put them in a cage with a rapist where they will be fucked against their will by a stranger. So I don't think that just doing your job has ever been you know a legitimate excuse for anything. Well said. Um, nor do I, nor do I. Um, now, you know, I, I prescribe to this kind of generalization, and, and it, it, it's definitely part 
the tactic you use to, um, you know, ACAB. You're probably familiar with it. All cops are bad. Um, and it, and it's, a, it's a provocative statement, um, at least the way I use it. It's designed to sort of challenge people's notion of, uh, you know, the friend or, or white people's notion of the friendly cop, protect and serve. Um, they're, you know, going to save your kid and, and so on and so forth. Um, do you think that, that um, the institution of, of law enforcement um, has um, gotten progressively more violent and more jackbooted, um, or do you think that's just a perception of, um, of the public and uh, more cameras, more exposure, or do, or do, you, do you really see, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the development of, of, you know, the police state? Okay, so the, the police are no more violent, you know, in, in what they do than they ever were, in my opinion, right? Like, police have been murdering people since, like, before we have writing, right? I mean, before there was written language, there was murder and there was government. So, I would say that, you know, they're not any more violent than they were in the times of Jesus when they crucified the fucking guy, right? Uh, you know, as the story goes, anyway. So, you know, are they any more violent than, than people who, you know, crucified people? No. I mean, it's, it is what it's always been. I mean, sometimes they, you know, now they have some, like, cooler toys, and, you know, they're capable of exerting more force. Now, you know, I do not differentiate much between coercion and violence, right? So, I mean... What what is absolutely more is the coercion. There's probably actually less physical violence, you know, per capita than there has been. And there are studies actually that'll indicate this. If you listen to Adam Kokesh, he likes to quote one all the time. There's like there's less actual like physical confrontations that you're probably less likely than ever to be like beaten than by a police officer than you ever were. That part looks like more pronounced now because of the. Um, because of the cameras, because of the internet, that we can actually get this information out to people. That uh, the actual assaults, the actual bleeding, the actual death, we see more of it now than we did in times past. However, the coercion is at an all-time high, and I do not differentiate between violence and coercion. And that I mean, you know, the, and it's no, there's no fault of the police that the politicians have passed more laws and given the police more excuses to go out and interact with the people in the society, that they will go out and they will do more kidnappings, you know, but, you know, it, but the, the police are not doing anything any more or less violent than they used to, right? The police always kidnapped you. The police always killed you if you resisted. And now they just have lots more reasons to kill and to kidnap and to, you know, assault, unfortunately. I think you're probably right. There's just more orders to follow with uh, with more with more uh, advanced toys, um, you know. And and you know, I think that one of the things about the equipment um, the equipment piece of this of this uh, puzzle, um, you know, with with just the uh, I mean the the uh, you know. Troop carriers, the uh, the out of control um, riot gear that looks like something out of uh, you know science uh, fiction. Um, when you're put into that costume, um, I, I think you're more willing to uh, play the role that that um, you know you're the guys who sign your paycheck uh, 
have have intended for you. Um, it's easier to to uh, fill out that that job uh, description. Um, you know when well, certainly. When I mean. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how much of this goes on in Vermont, but I'm from New York, right? We have gangs here. There's a there's a private sector gang problem in New York. So, you know, if you wear a blue uniform with a shiny badge or you wear blue jeans and a blue sweatshirt and a blue bandana over your face, it's the same exact thing. If you join the Bloods and Crips, if you join the Nietas of the Latin Kings, well, you're necessarily going to be more willing to do violence once you join a gang whose explicit purpose is to do violence. And it's the same exact thing with the police. Indeed, yeah, and I, I and I think the uh, you know the colors component to it, um, you know, I think it's uh, it's intended. It's intended to promote um, you know that whole team thing that happens when people put on the same color jersey, um, and uh, kind of that collective brutality, that uh, mob mentality that then that, that can uh, occur more easily when. You know, when even these kind of um, simple um, applications of uh, psychological manipulation are, are are put on people who have to work for a living, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you you know, if you live in one of these neighborhoods that has a gang problem, and you see you know you see a bunch of uh, you know young gentlemen coming down your street wearing all the same color, you know, to cross the street. I mean, it's. It's the same. It's the same exact thing. It's just you know. It's it's it identifies you as a violent group of criminals that you know. If you if you fight against us, then that we will all jump on you at the same time. And so and, and that know, uniform reinforces that self identity. Um, absolutely. I, I yeah. Think. Yeah. No question um, about it. All right. A couple a couple of fun questions for you, um, and the, and then we'll get back to the serious stuff. Um, and the, these are uh, one one. It's a it's a binomial series of questions. Um, you can choose A or B. Okay. All right? But this is intended uh, to be fun. Andre the Giant or the Animal? I'm going to go with Andre the Giant just because I'm not really sure what you're referring to, the Animal. So. The Animal was the big fat guy who wore the uh, wand. How old are you? I'm 33. That's about what I figured. He wore uh, the one-strapped uh, leotard and... Uh, you know, was was humongous and bald. He kind of looked uh, like Roseberger from Stir Crazy. Yeah, right, I didn't next. get into, like, um, WWF until probably, like, 1990, I want to say, like, 1995, 1996. And, I mean, at that time, if I recall correctly, like, it was, like, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H and that sort of thing were more of the, like, predominant guys. But I do, like, just remember Andre the Giant, but I think it's some old-school guys. I didn't watch wrestling when I was a child. Right on. I, I watched it as a youngster and then kind of fell out of it. Um, and, and I may have, I'm 41, so I may have estimated your age a little closer to mine. But this one will be, will be uh, relevant. Oscar the Grouch or uh, the Count? Oh, Oscar the Grouch all the way. Ron Swanson or Frank Reynolds? I don't know who Frank Reynolds is, but Ron Swanson is the guy from Parks and Rec, and that's hysterical, so I'll go with him. Right on. Frank Reynolds is... Uh, is uh, a character from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, played okay. by Danny DeVito. And, okay, uh, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about now. I mean, <laughs> he's, 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 he's a funny character. I don't watch a great deal of television. I like canceled my cable TV subscription, but I do do the Netflix thing. I, and I have seen, uh, I've seen a lot of Sunny in Philadelphia, and it is a funny show, and Danny DeVito is a great actor. 
Yeah, it's it is a it's a great show. Uh, I do it on the on the Netflix. Um, I love it. Um, all right, we'll move on to the net. metal or punk. Metal. John John Stewart or Steve Colbert. John Stewart. Inspector Clouseau or Mr. Magoo. Inspector Clouseau. All right, I think I, I dated myself on that one. Mad Max or The Road Warrior? Uh, couldn't say. I don't know. Scarface or Godfather? Scarface. Public Enemy or Pantera? Public Enemy. Right on. Thanks, man. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> that was good stuff. Um, there's some tough ones, the tough ones, but uh, you know, but they, they're supposed to be, I imagine. So uh, yeah, Public Enemy was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, Flavor Flav, you know, it was fun to watch him spiral out on the Flavor of Love for a little while, and that was a you know <laughs> disgraceful ending to his career. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely, uh, Scarface or Godfather? That's a very poignant question for uh, for men in today's culture. Which one? Which one they identify with more? Yeah, I mean, Godfather was a good movie, but I think that, you know, I think that Scarface uh, really captured me more. I think, you know, and, and, it's, and it was obviously, you know, it was censored censor around, uh, you know, the drug trade, which, you know, I have, you know, some pretty strong opinions about that, you know, you probably wouldn't have had to have all that terrible violence and without, you know, drugs being illegal, then, you know, Scarface would have been a terribly boring movie. It would just be any other company, you know, but because of all this chaos caused by the war on drugs that it was an absolute disaster uh, you know what happened and uh, it was very entertaining to watch certainly and that's a great lead in um, there you you have a really funny video um, where you call one of your employees um, and uh, they are they are so you you already know they're lying um, but they're so clearly lying and uh, and I, ha- I have employees myself, and, and they're young, they're cooks, and they're crazy, and they're reckless. And, um, you know, the conversation that you had with that young lady, I have had that conversation so many times. Um, and at one point, you know, during that conversation, uh, you, men- you mentioned something about, about, you know, weed smoking. Um, n- now, I imagine... With your with your you know sort of ideological philosophy, um, the drug war uh, has been a waste of resources um, and has uh, funded, and I shouldn't make this assumption, but has funded um, an entire new uh, industrial complex. Certainly, I mean the war on drugs is you know an absolute failure. To so the thing with the employee on the phone, I mean that was. There are a few things that I enjoy more in this world than catching a person in a lie, right? And if you and if you can catch them in a lie and they don't know that you've caught them yet, it provides this really profound form of entertainment that like you can sort of like watch them squirm for a little while, right? Where they're trying, you know, they're they're trying to get around it and you're just like I have you and you know they're trying to do it and it's and it's just I don't know it's a sick it's kind of sick right like it's kind of sick the way that I like take pleasure in their misery but it's almost like I don't know my it, since I don't like to torture puppies this is how I get my kicks right um, <laughs> and, and, and they're guilty 
Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it's a fun, like, science experiment, right? Like, I, I don't really understand lying anymore, right? Like, when I was younger, I told a lot of lies. I was a guy who used drugs, and I'd have to lie to my parents all the time. But I was never really very good at it, right? Like, I would get caught every single time. Like, I'd come home, my eyes would be red, my mom would be like, what have you been doing? And I'd be like, I'm just tired. She's like, you're doing drugs! And that, you know, just made my life miserable as a child. But we don't have to go into all that right now. But, you know, I just, I was never good at it, and I sort of realized that at a very young age, and I was like, wow, you know, life is a lot easier when I just tell the truth and don't care about how people feel. And so I, I mean, I should probably like pick up a book on it or something, because like, I really don't understand lying that well. So, like, when I catch someone in a lie, I love to just, like, sort of, like, watch and try to, like, read their cues and, like, understand what it is that is going through their head. You know, right, exactly. what I sort of did with her. And since we record, you know, all the calls at the office, it made for, you know, some entertaining content. Yeah, I thought it, it was entertaining. And it, it's also very illustrative of, um, you know, like, uh, I mean, that is a, a, a pretty prevalent attitude about work, um, at least among the same, uh, you know, demographic of kids who work for me, um, you know, sort of that, uh, um, you know, being able, you know, being that cognitive dissonance, and that's another term that that you use well in a lot of your writing, and and use it correctly. A lot of people don't. Um, you know, I th- I, f- I found it um, uh, revealing when it took it took the employee a couple of minutes to um, actually sort of register uh, what you said when when. You know, you you kind of called her on on her bluff and said, you know, we called the the fifth precinct, and uh, you know, she's like, wait, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, you know, they, you know they, so. I think I mentioned it that you know I was sort of the disciplinarian in the office, and you know, when she realized that she was talking to me, it just blew her mind because she thought that she like she's trying to you know flirt with my partner, but you know, he's like he was married, you know, so. It wasn't, you know, working out too well. But, you know, women sort of have that, like, influence over men, even if they're not going to do anything with them, that they can sort of, like, you know, get them to, like, treat them kindly or more softly. And I just, she she had no power over me with that. So uh, she knew that, you know, she tried to, you know, talk to my partner instead of me. And when, when she realized it was me on the phone, she was like, oh, I am sunk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I actually inferred. I was like, "Why? Why does she want to talk to that guy?" That was interesting. Um, yeah. Now, do you vote? Um, I voted in the 2012 Republican primary for Ron Paul. I may vote again, but usually voting doesn't seem to provide me with a great deal of good options. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not one of these people who says. Voting is violence, therefore don't do it. Although, you know, that's generally the rule, right? I mean, most of the time, if you, uh, you know, uh, support a candidate for office, what you're probably doing is creating a, making a bad situation worse. That this this person who wants to go in there wants to expand some state policy or other, and know that even if they're a very well-intentioned person, that they're probably terribly unlikely to shrink the scope of government in our lives at all. So if someone goes in there wanting to shrink it and they can use it as a bully pulpit to talk about points and, and you know, getting influenced by speaking on C-SPAN and stuff like that, 
you know, like I said, I did it, you know, for the Ron Paul thing, call it a protest vote. But that was the last time that I voted, and unless something really different happens, it'll probably be the last time that I do. What One of the things I like about your writing is that, um, uh, you know, beyond just sort of pointing out what what I think now are, are kind of the obvious problems um, um, with with the construct in which we live, um, you offer some solution. Um you have any any um, not necessarily political aspirations, but even even um, organizational aspirations um, as far as trying to get uh, a third or a fourth or a, a, just an alternative um, something going um, besides the the normal um, dualistic choices of Democrat and Republican, and uh, within that question also. Um, there's a gentleman um, who runs a, a, a news network, the Young Turks, uh, Sank Unger, and um, he's he started something called the Wolf Pack, um, which is a it's a registered you know pack, it's a political organization, um, you know, and its purpose is to raise money, and it's it's supposed to be the antithesis to uh, you know Citizens United and 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 big corporate money in in politics. Um, do you think do you think something um, that's designed within the the rules of of the existing paradigm um, can and this goes right back to the free staters you know can it exist without becoming co-opted and assimilated into um, the the normal rigmarole? I like that you asked that question. I like the way that you asked it. That's an excellent question. That um, so. I have entertained getting back involved with, like, the Libertarian Party. And the reason that I have entertained doing that has more to do with the fact that it's like a vehicle and it has parliamentary procedure, which, um, you know, unfortunately, the way the way most organizations work in, you know, it, within this, uh, you know, broadly defined Libertarian movement is that, you know, there's the, the people perform clicks and it's just peer pressure and social ostracism and silliness, right? And I like the, I, I, I now see the value of parliamentary procedure, which is, if you're not familiar, is basically like rules for political infighting. And I, and right. I think that I, I might, I might, I might involve myself in the Libertarian Party when I go to New Hampshire, and I'm sure that some people in New Hampshire that hear this now will like start building barricades around the Libertarian Party meetings, but <laughs> I, I may involve myself with that. PACs, look, I don't, I don't really think like throwing money at electoral politics is like a good thing. And it's unfortunate because like, um, the, cause the money can be spent better. I mean, Stefan Molyneux has a video out called, uh, why, why they're winning and why we're losing. And I would encourage everybody to watch that. And that's because, Look, you know, if somebody runs for president and the maximum campaign contribution you can give them is $2,400 and people send it. They're like, okay, let me send the maximum amount of money allowed by law. And then, you know, a guy like me goes and like spends, you know, a great deal of time writing very thoughtful articles on a website, producing YouTube videos. And I'm doing this for what amounts to far less than minimum wage when you count the time that I'm doing it and not that I think that there should be a minimum wage. Uh, you know, so the fact of the matter is that, like, if somebody wants to give money to Stefan Molyneux or Adam Kokesh or myself or you, I imagine many of us could use it far better than any political candidate could get because generally the way that you gain political clout, the way that you get taken seriously as a candidate is by 
perverting the message. And, and so it's not an effective way to spread a message of non-aggression. Uh, and so I don't, I, I would not personally get involved with any PACs. If people want to do that, then they're more than welcome to. I mean, there's, there's a lot worse ways to spend your money than giving it to electoral politics. I would not trust anything from the Young Turks because I think it's a, a horrible liberal outfit that, that does not, uh, you know, represent real freedom. They kind of rail about the police state and to my understanding will then go on to say tax the rich and you know if you want to complain about your government and give it more money it's just i can't think of a stupider thing for you to do another great point you bring up about um you know and about the general sort of uh state of anarchy and and the perceived definition of anarchy is um that that there there's and and this is a great time to bring up Occupy Wall Street is that there is um, there is a, co- a collection of people um, who consider themselves um, anarchists. Yet um, the notion um, that um, uh, that that the rule of non-imposition of their will upon um, the corporate. Um, you know, isn't an essential component to their form of anarchy, and um, and it's sort of like a pick and choose anarchy. And um, I, I think this is this was you know pretty prevalent um, in Occupy Wall Street. And uh, you know, I, I I think you made some really poignant points about Occupy Wall Street. Um, and clearly, you're not a big fan. But talk talk about that. Um, did you ever? Did you ever look at, at Occupy Wall Street when it first started with with uh, any glimmer of optimism, or um, did you think it was all a bunch of stupid hippies from from the get go? Yeah, I was pretty confident it was all a bunch of stupid liberals from the get go. I mean, uh, you know, people were sort of buzzing about this, you know, radical protest that was going to happen that they were going to occupy Wall Street. And I mean, once I started looking at it, I mean, it was just is blatant left wing propaganda. And, uh, you know, and I went down there, I, you know, I was in New York at the time. I went down to Zuccotti Park and I talked to these people and the videos are on my YouTube channel that they've got yeah, crazy ideas. You know, the, the, you know, there's one guy there, he's got a sign and he says, you know, pass this bill. And I'm like, what is this? And he says, it's a government department of peace. And I say, well, how can you have peace from government when, you know, how are you going to fund this institution? Well, with taxes, of course. I'm like, well, how are you going to have peace in taxes? And it doesn't even occur to this young man that... You know, taxes are collected by breaking into people's houses and shooting their pets and putting them in cages with rapists. I mean, it just doesn't even he doesn't even process that, you know, and and to I'm, tell him that he he says that I'm lying or something, you know, that, well, you know, about, you know, he just has no, no answer to it. So, I mean, it's let one alone thing to, the paradoxical, paradoxical nature of the statement of uh, uh, what was it? <laughs> a government uh, department of peace, a government department of nonviolence. <laughs> You know, I'm like, and I just, and I asked him this question, and it just never even occurs to him. He thinks it's a really great idea to just steal everyone's money at gunpoint and then create a, an institution with that to find nonviolent solutions to problems. And I'm just, I can't think of like a stupider idea than that. I, if I tried really hard, I couldn't come up with anything more ridiculous. And, you know, these, these people, they don't, they, they won't even, it's not even that they don't know. You know, it's that they won't even just they just won't even think about it, you know. So, you know, there was another woman who 
uh, I was speaking to, and, you know, she's talking about libraries and, you know, how we were supposed to have a 20-hour work week and all of this. And I'm like, and how that was going to bring us freedom. I'm like, the government is going to legislate every aspect of your economic activity, and then you're going to be free. And she just thinks that that's a great idea. And, you know, it's a great place to go and troll people. It's a great place to go and try to wake people up, because, like I said about the Monsanto thing, if people are just sort of, like, looking at the world for a first time, like, it can be very dangerous – then you've got to go down there and be like, hey, maybe the government is the reason that you're afraid and you shouldn't be asking it for help. And those are, you know, you can do positive things like that, and I admire people who have the patience to do it because I frequently do not. But to say that you're going to go down there, hold a sign, and stand in solidarity with a bunch of people who say give more money to the state, well, you know, I can't think of anything stupider than that because they know what the government is. It just kicked the crap out of them two blocks down the street. Right, exactly. Um you know, and and I'm I I I did ha- hold some optimism for optimism for Occupy Wall Street. Um, I knew sort of where where the idea was hatched, um, and uh, you know knew at at, su- at some point that um, you know most likely a progressive leaning um, Democrat institution was going to try to co-opt it. I had no idea it was going to happen so quickly. Um, but you it wasn't know, co-opted. And, you have to understand. I mean, if you go, if you look, there's like stories out there about the origins of it. Okay, it was created. The whole entire point of this thing was to be some like radical left wing movement. You know, the whole but, but entire it, point it, of it. But it was hatched um, by um, God. The name just went out of my head, but um, it'll adbusters. By what? By adbusters. And who is adbusters? Adbusters is a, uh, um, I don't know what, what they, uh, I don't know if they um, identify with any political ideology, but it's sort of, uh, you know, a uh, kind of a Ralph Nader um, type consumer protection. Um, um, okay, uh, so, all right, yeah, I'm looking at the website right now. Okay, so... If you say Ralph Nader, just say leftist, right? If you say yeah. something that's trying to create corporate, you know, accountability, just say leftist, okay? Yeah. That's that's what these people are. What they this is this is the fundamental and and people you know people who don't understand it you know say oh ha ha he still believes in the left right paradigm. No, I I understand that the left right paradigm is stupid, and that's why people who are participating in it drive me crazy. Uh, so this is a leftist outfit. I mean, you, we go to their website, and Absolute. what I see is the, the, on the front page of their website. I'm at it right now. So you see the Exxon logo. You see the Monsanto logo. You see GM. You see Goldman Sachs, Pfizer, and BP logos, okay? And these people are against the corporations, so to speak, okay? But they're not against the corporations, okay? They're calling. They're saying they're against the corporations because that, like, is like a buzzword, okay? What they're is capitalism. They don't like people having money, okay? Liberals don't like good shit. Understand that, okay? They want to destroy good things, and they don't like it when people have money, all right? If you have a lot of money, to them that is something that they refer to as privilege, and that you are then above people who do not have money. You know, damn the fact that you made choices in this world that made you more successful than someone who's rotting on a sidewalk in New York City with nothing, they don't care that you made better choices than him. They think that you are equal to him. They think that you are better. You, you are no better than a guy who 
ruins his life with heroin. They think that you're no better than somebody who just won't get up and go to work. That's what these people do, you know, but, and they want to destroy. There is, there is a, an, uh, a large, I mean, there, you know, the, there are a lot of uber wealthy people who identify themselves as, as liberals. I mean, most blue blood money in this country that still matriculates from the interests of the industrial age, those families are, are liberals. Well, no. Um, what they are is evil, manipulating pieces of shit is what they are. Absolutely. So, and, that, and, so, that, and that's what, the point I'm driving at. So yeah, for, so, for a group like Adbusters to identify as liberal, we don't, you know, we don't want money. And then the corporate logos obviously, you know, are, are funding the website and all the things they do. Um, um, you know, again, we get to that word cognitive dissonance, um, you know, like, like where where did, where does this ability to speak out of one side of your mouth um, in one arena and then the the other side of your mouth um, and have a completely contradicting um, statement or or viewpoint or even just uh, you know your habits in your daily life like wh- where does that where does that come from? It predates written language, so I mean I can't say what its origin is, but I mean it's it's the thing is that you know my my sort of analysis of the human race has been that most of them are not you know people who pay attention to evidence and logic and reason. They they come up with sort of comfortable ideas, and they adhere to them, right? Like they're like this makes me feel good to believe this. I mean we've got you know you know people still believe in God. You know worse than that they still believe in the Bible. Worse than that they still believe in the Catholic Church. I mean there's you know, there's no amount of, like, evidence that you can present to some people that will change their opinion on something once they, you know, accept it into their core belief system. And no amount of evidence will ever change that. And, you know, part of me thinks that, like, those of us who are starting to see that are part of, like, an evolutionary change, right? That, like, we're probably going to have to live separate from these people. Because if they can't, if we want to have a society, a peaceful society, then that society... You know, it's it's going to have to be reasonable. Like people are going to have to be reasonable people. Because if you have completely ridiculous ideas, and you try to plan your life around that, you're going to come out with bad results. And then people, when they find themselves in bad positions, have a tendency of resorting to violence. So if we want to have a peaceful, free society, then you know, rational people are going to have to separate themselves from irrational people, and let the irrational people starve to death because they won't be able to get anything done. Um, you know, but that's I, I don't I don't know what the origin is of it. I, I imagine you know I I, I would like to you go and like search out a Stefan right, Molyneux right on video point, on man. cognitive dissonance because what you answered it. That's right on point. You know, it does it does predate written history. It's part of part of the human nature to be able to hurtle towards death and at the same time continue with your daily you know rigor morale. Um, uh, you know, mindless lemmings who will just run off a cliff because you know it's it's dangerous and crazy and it's something that terrifies me about human society. It's crazy. Now, within my my definition of of anarchy and yours and I over you know overlay quite, I mean almost identical. Essentially, I just say don't impose your will on mine. I won't impose mine on yours, and we'll be good. Um, another way to say that uh, you know is. Um, you need to be able to agree to disagree, um, and you need to be able to disengage, um, not you specifically, but as people, we need to be able to disengage um, from things that we don't agree with instead of offering um, 
offering, um, you know, whatever it is that we don't agree with, uh, you know, our, our energy. Um, you know, you look at the, at the third law of thermodynamics, you know, if you don't provide that resistance, uh, the object in motion is going to, is going to eventually run out of energy and stop. Um, so within, within this definition of, of anarchy, and I think, I think, um, you know, when you speak, um, um, your convictions, um, like, serve, you know, serve, um, serve the principles of, um, you know, of, of the point you're trying to get across great. When you, when you interview people, um, and when you talk to people, and when you write, um, there really is a component of tolerance, um, and um, sort of education, almost nurturing. And um, I'm not trying to undermine, um, you know, your your uh, your your persona, um, but at the same time, you know, I think that 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 component of teaching people, um, or or just or just you know, just saying what you think, not necessarily teaching people, but just you know, saying what's on your mind, what what um, you think is an individual without. The, you know, um, the fear of somebody becoming immediately adversarial. Um, it's a really important component um, uh, to anarchy, in in, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, my, my public persona has, you know, look, my public persona is a, it's a character, okay? It's a, you know, it's based on a true story, and, you know, and I, and I'm not lying, you know, but it's it, I'm exaggerated, right? And I and I have this, you know, I'm a, I'm I have some experience as a stand-up comedian. I'm not I was never a very good success as a stand-up comedian, but you know, people have always found me funny. You know, I just my audience that does find me funny is spread out all over the place, so I'm not very good in the comedy clubs. They don't get the jokes that I'm telling. But you know, so I I Niche use that the, the the anarchist atheist and asshole you know like headline of the website is because like I take a great deal of pleasure in just like eviscerating people. So like I'll. You know, I'll say something, you know, I, I write an article about Gabby Giffords getting shot, and I'm like, yeah, fuck this bitch, and say nasty things about her in a very sick and satirical fashion that, you know, is very asshole-ish, right? But, you know, if I go and I, you know, take some time, you know, if I say, hey, maybe there's some ability for me to, you know, have a meaningful conversation with this person, then go on and do that. And, you know, one article on the website must be, you know, uh, you know very mean and, and dismissive and, and vicious to a person, and then the next thing will be, you know, very thoughtful and thought-provoking and gentle. And I I try to take people on this little bit of a roller coaster because the thing that I found in libertarian entertainment, let's talk about entertainment in general first. What do, we, do we got, what, like 15 minutes left of this? Yeah, man, go. Okay, so, so, so you know, entertainment in general, we never, you never read a book or watched a movie that didn't have a conflict, right? That we like, we, we are conflict-driven creatures. That thing, conflict is what interests us. That we're always trying to solve a problem. It's just what we are as animals. That we, you know, if we're hungry, we need to go find food. And if we're thirsty, we need to go find water. And if we're horny, we need to go find a mate. And, you know, these are the problems that, you know, reptiles face. Now, you know, we're a little bit more, you know, uh, structured than that, right? And then, you know, we sort of have, that's like your reptile brain, and then you have, like, your dog brain, you know, and your dog brain 
you know, has all the instincts of your reptile brain and your dog brain, you know, also has like a certain amount of emotions, right? And it has, okay, survival skills and emotions, but it doesn't really have intellect. And then your human brain, now your human brain has intellect and emotions and the reptile brain. And so these things create an endless potential for conflict, right? Because we want to solve everything in this world. It's what we, it's the reason that we're talking about politics and shit. And if, and it's the reason that we create governments. It's the reason that we build corporations. We're trying to, we, if we don't have a problem, once we have all the food, water, and sex that we need, we go out and we look for something else to do. And we, we, there's an infinite supply of conflict out there. So we are conflict driven creatures. We are entertained by conflict. Conflict attracts us. So, and libertarian media, in large part, I, I think the failure of it is, is that the only conflict that there is is, like, the state. So, like, people will go and, like, complain about government policy and stuff like that. And sometimes the government provides you with a great deal of interesting news that you can complain about, and it's timely and entertaining. And sometimes it doesn't. But what I have found is that, you know, we can sort of, like, step that conflict up. We can make it more exciting. And the way to make, that, to make it more exciting is, for one, to, te- to, like, argue with figures that you know within your circles and that entertains the, your peers. And it also creates, like, a, a source of entertainment for people who are outside of your circle who might not like some of your peers. And it helps to draw people in, right? So we're creating a conflict, and then let's try to make the conflict exciting, and then let's... Uh, you know, try to add some humor to it, right? So I'm trying to create a a source of entertainment, right? And then once they're into the entertainment, well, now let's provide some intellectual stimulation, right? Because they're not going to listen to me. If I just say very smart things, if I'm just very smart and I'm off in my little corner saying my smart thing, nobody gives a shit if I do that. Nobody cares. They're not going to listen. They're not going to read the article if I just say smart things. Let's entertain them. Let's bring them in. Let's say, you know, provocative things and, and manipulate the search engines and say fun stuff on social media to gain our social media relevancy and, and boost us up in the edge rank system and everything else. Um, we are conflict-driven creatures. We want to be entertained. We need conflict to entertain us. Uh, and by sort of creating these uh, conflicts and, and addressing important issues in the process, we can give people edumatainment or, or infotainment where they are uh, you know, learning something while you're tricking them into thinking that it's all a fun show. Uh, yeah, and I and you know I I applaud you for uh, for the way you do it. You do it well, um, and uh, I think that that some people go for that affect, um, and either they fall they fall short on the uh, on one side or the other. Usually, the education portion of it, and that's that's usually the the uh, the part of it that that I think is more valuable. I think you balance it well, um, and you make a great point. Um, nobody's going to listen to anybody who's off skulking in the corner um, and keeping all of their um, their contempt and, and sort of disdain for the, the system um, to themselves. That just causes anxiety and uh, mental illness. Um, but, but you're a cerebral guy. Do you think that without sort of the... Um, you know the three card shuffle um, of of all the dualistic um, institutions that have had it, that have been imposed upon us, starting you know from uh, the church and and before. Um, do you do you think that that drive for conflict um, is ultimately a destructive drive? Um, you know, like we we do, we. Do, we're we're a culture now that that goes out that goes to look for food when we're not hungry, 
that goes to look for sex when we're not horny. Um, you know, that, that, that goes to look for, for, um, uh, you know, entertainment when, um, a moment of boredom, um, passes and yet, and yet boredom is a moment for self-reflection. Um, and so like on a more philosophical side, um, I see, I see like that drive for conflict or, or that need for conflict, that need for tension. And it is, it is, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, in every written story from, uh, you know, the Iliad and, and Anki Du and Gilgamesh, um, up to, you know, the last, you know, John Grisham article, um, conflict is, is, is the center of the story. Um, it's the, it's the, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I like to use uh, Romeo and Juliet as like a great example that like actually like the the greater the conflict, the better the story, right? So I mean, you know, spoiler alert if anybody hasn't heard it, but you know, Romeo and Juliet, you know, are these like young lovers who are from warring families who are trying to find a way to be together, and in the end, they die under very tragic circumstances. And society does not say, "Oh my God, that's terrible! Get that away from." It becomes a timeless love story passed down throughout the ages that we'll probably still be talking about at the moment of mankind's extinction. To the to the question of, um, you know, what was uh, do we does that I mean, would we be, does would that we need be, for conflict? You ask me, does that need for conflict pose like a potential for you know destruction? And it certainly does because I mean we go and we create problems where problems do not in fact exist. You know, and that is something that. Uh, you know, has an immense potential for disaster. And the thing is that I don't think it, the only way that this is a problem is with the state, right? Because if if you create a conflict in your life and it leads to disaster for you, then that's, you know, that's very unfortunate for you that you, you know, created a conflict that caused you to jump off a bridge or whatever horrible consequence that came as a result of your conflict seeking. But the only way that it affects entire societies is through government. That's how we end up in wars. That's how we end up in economic crisis. Because for the most part, people will make decisions uh, in their own best interests. You know, so when everybody's trying to vote in their own best interests, and it affects 310 million people and all the people across the planet, well, you know, first of all, they're making bad decisions because the politicians are lying to them, and then. Uh, you know, it has these really widespread implications. When you make a bad decision in your own life, when you create a conflict where one doesn't exist, you know, that's more or less localized to you and the people who choose to associate with you. And unless everybody makes a really bad decision at the same time, it doesn't have these sort of catastrophic effects on the entire society. The only way that happens is through government. And, you know, if we don't solve this government in fairly short order. I mean, that could lead to the extinction of the human race. I mean, that could happen before we hang up this call. Germ warfare could break out and turn us all into Resident Evil. I mean, this is something that could absolutely, you know, wipe out the entire all life on this planet, not even just the human race. I mean, any given moment, we have no control over that, unfortunately, when we're dealing with the state. But outside of that, you know, individuals can make bad choices and it can have bad consequences for them, but the rest of the society carries on and in general, humanity will be fine. Dr. Strangelove ca- captured the absurdity of, um, of, of sort of the, uh, 
uh, of the um, effectiveness of the of the state and their ability to make um, uh, rational, independent decisions beautifully. Um, Doctor Strange, I don't know if you've seen that, um, but it is it, it's a, it's essentially a satire on um, uh, you know on the process of building the nuclear bomb. And uh, if if you haven't seen it, um, Doctor Strange loves or how I fell in love with uh, the nuclear bomb. It's um, how I how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Doctor Strange love is is all you need to know for Netflix. I, I hear it. I hear it quoted from time to time. I can't say I've ever watched the film, but I understand it's become something of a classic. And I think I've actually uh, put quotes of it in in articles of mine at some point in the past. But I, I can't say I've ever watched the movie. Perhaps I'll have to go and take a look at that because that does sound like an interesting film. It is, and it, and you know, I think like uh, one of the marks of of, um, of of good art or 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 good whatever medium it may be is that it it possesses some timelessness to it and uh, can be relevant, you know, across um, ages. And that's obviously what Shakespeare did. Uh, everybody just rewrites Shakespeare stories, right? Um, he did that with with remarkable uh, brilliance. Um, yeah, he was a really, you know, he really set the standard, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, for art form, for the art form, for entertainment. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know if they're all rewriting his stories, but he, there's certainly, I, I don't think that there's going to be a great deal in this world that doesn't have some Shakespearean influence in it. Exactly. Do you, um, you all, I, I also love the way you use conspiracy theory and, I, and, and, um, you know, you, the fact that conspiracy theory and um, libertarianism um, are often used in the mainstream media sort of in the same um, sentence or, or very close to each other um, certainly hasn't escaped you. And um, I, I like the way you leverage conspiracy theories, um, uh, to, you know, to kind of... Um, it, I mean, it's almost, you know, it's almost like the Kansas City Shuffle used the conspiracy theory to kind of that uh, edutainment component to it and then kind of, you know, turn around and, and give the true facts. Um, um, talk about... Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you cut it, you get you get people to sort of, you know, conspiracy theories are powerful, right? And, and, and they're, you know, really well-crafted and some of them are complete nonsense and some of them are absolutely true and I don't necessarily know, you know, how much truth is in each one of them, right? You know, when we're talking about government, the whole point of it is to keep us in the dark, right? Governments do these insane, weird things, and you never actually know exactly what their motives are. So, you know, it's it's really something that uh, is is absolutely terrifying when you start to look at it. And what a conspiracy theories do is they affect the mind, right? Like there's it, and there's science behind it that you can read, like scientific studies about the psychology behind conspiracy theories. That absolutely. Yeah, so then, you know, it's 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 not an accident that they're doing these things, right? So, like, people will, like, um, suspect sometimes that, like, Alex Jones is some kind of disinfo agent, and that's part of the reason. I don't know if he is or isn't. It's not my place to figure it out. He's doing great things for libertarianism, because when that happens to someone's mind, they begin questioning things. And when they – and if somebody question, if somebody honestly questions things – if they really do question things, they're going to come to very similar conclusions as us. If they're not questioning things, if they're not thinking objectively, if they're not trying to figure out what's happening in the world, then they're never going to do anything positive. If they are thinking about stuff, if they're if they're critically thinking, if they're worried, 
you know, then they, they stand a good potential of, you know, critically thinking. And, and if they think critically, then, you know, A is A, there is an objective reality, and they will, you know, eventually come to it, you know, hopefully. And, and uh, we only have a, about a minute left, but, you you know, you bring up, and this could be another show, and, and maybe we'll have you back on, but, um, the, you know, the education system um, has clearly, you know, it may be effective, it may not be, again, I don't, it's, I, you know, I really, really could care less. I don't have kids, but it certainly has lessened the individual's ability to think analytically, critically, uh, uh, you know, about things that have several different um, possible solutions. Um, um, and we have 45 seconds left, Christopher. I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on, um, and I can't thank Dalek enough for for uh, introducing me to you um and uh you know i think i think you do great work i love i love your style um and uh you know keep up the good fight brother and um i will definitely be you know keeping up with what you're doing um because i think you're doing it right um and uh for the record um you're you're an all pro troll uh and i um so you have reached all pro status. You do it well, um, and keep doing what you're doing, brother. And I can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. Thanks for having me, guys. ChristopherCantwell.com and uh, vote for Cantwell on Twitter. And I'm going to uh, spread all those all those links on Twitter. So uh, definitely check out Christopher Cantwell's writing. It's uh, it's spot on, um, and uh, his videos are hilarious. So check it out, Christopher. Thank you, man. Keep up the struggle, brother. All right, man. Talk soon. Take care.